In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Today is the third Sunday of Kiak, and all the four gospel uh, readings uh, during the Sundays of Kiak are from the first chapter of the Gospel of St. Luke. So in order, the 80 verses of this one chapter are broken out into four parts. The first one is the Annunciation of St. John the Baptist. The second one is the Annunciation of our Lord to St. Mary through the Archangel Gabriel, which was read last week. And the today's reading is about the visit of St. Mary with uh, St. Elizabeth. And next week's reading is the birth of St. John the Baptist. So during these four weeks, we bask in the glory of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, the story of the, um, the Nativity, which sparkles, of course, with hope and love and giving of grace to humanity. God, the creator of the universe, has now come down in the flesh and given us many great things uh, and has helped us to overcome the evil of death as the angels themselves proclaimed. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So we acknowledge the two things in the nativity story, the greatness of God and the fact that that greatness now has come and to dwell among us in our presence, not just during the time of the nativity, but even till today. These readings culminate, of course, in the 29th of Kayak, which we celebrate the birth of Christ and the revealing of him to the world, to the uh, shepherds and to uh, the, the kings uh, who came and g- gave him gifts uh, in the most humblest of places, right? The, the most humblest of place was, of course, the manger. But today's reading relates to us the story of St. Mary, St. Mary and her visit to uh, St. Elizabeth. Tradition states that St. Mary was about 16 years old when the Archangel Gabriel announced the news of her uh, birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. But uh, even though she was so young, she had a very difficult and tumultuous life. Uh, even though she was only 16, it was full of uh, challenges. Early in her uh, life, her parents, Joachim and Anna, were childless, and they promised that if they got a child, they would dedicate that child to the temple. So they were blessed with the birth of St. Mary, and when when St. Mary was approximately three or four years old, they gave St. Mary to the temple. So St. Mary dwelt in the temple when she was three or four years old. Uh, Very difficult, I can imagine, for her parents to give up their uh, three-year-old to dwell in the temple, but they did that according to their promise. So she lived without her parents from the from about that age. Her job in the temple, if you read some of the uh, the stories and tradition about her, one of the things she would do is she would, after the sacrifices in the temple, after they'd slaughter the, the animal, and uh, her job was to clean up the blood of that sacrifice. So she would carry the blood the length of a few football fields to go dump it outside the walls. So her intimacy with the blood of the sacrifice uh, came to a very interesting relationship when she saw Christ, her son, on the cross. Uh, She served also the wives of the priests who were pregnant. Um, So the wives of the priests who were pregnant, she would go and serve them at a young age and and help them out in the house. Also, her potential potential calling, her calling uh, with the, with, uh, the birth of our Lord, had the potential outcry of the community. And so the the potential of stoning as well from the community according to the law. So in the face of all this, she rises with haste and travels to St. Elizabeth. After she suffered so many things as a 16-year-old or so, if you can imagine that, she travels about 81 miles uphill 
probably with horseback and a lot of walking as well, while pregnant, to go serve her cousin uh, Elizabeth. She endured such trials with patience and quietness, submission, love, and a spirit of service. We often speak about the the amazing dialogue that happens between St. Mary and St. Elizabeth, but what's even more amazing is the dialogue that happens between our Lord Jesus Christ while still in the womb of St. Mary and the great St. John the Baptist while still in the womb of St. Elizabeth. Here our Lord went to go to St. John. Our Lord, as is still in the womb, went to St. John to sanctify St. John with the purpose that was going to come ahead of him. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, as the Bible says today, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Just like all the prophets were anointed in the Old Testament uh, with the Holy Spirit, here St. John received the anointing of the Holy Spirit to become a prophet. Though he received the Holy Spirit, of course, for this anointing, just like all the Old Testament prophets, uh, it's not the same measure of the Holy Spirit that we received, of course, and that same level of intimacy uh, with the Holy Spirit that we receive at the baptism. Um, the kind of anointing that we received was so full and so intimate and dwells inside of us that uh, it makes us fully the children of God. St. John, though, was counted with the Old Testament prophets through, through this anointing. When Elizabeth met St. Mary, both were pregnant, and St. John leaped, as it were. We say, uh, St. Elizabeth says that St. John leaped in her womb for joy at the presence of the Word of God in our humanity. As we discussed for the readings relating to his birth, St. John was part of the Old Testament. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Um, he was part of that Old Testament because he did not live in the graces of the New Testament. Not yet. He was very close, and he was the last of the Old Testament prophets, but he didn't quite live in the graces that we all live today. He wasn't baptized, even though he was St. John the Baptist, the, the baptizer. He himself was not baptized with the Holy Spirit, with that new rebirth, that the kind of birth that renews our human nature. He did not receive that. He didn't receive the holy life-giving Eucharist that we receive on Sundays and at all liturgies. Um, uh, as the seal and the last of the greatest and the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, he didn't receive all these things um, that we all live in today. Like all the prophets, he saw these graces from afar, although he himself was the closest to that, because the time was near, he saw the Savior and the source of grace um, was now present uh, in front of him. So what did St. John, when, when Christ came in the womb of St. Mary, what did he actually leap for joy about? He perceived that the presence of Christ, with all of his glories and joyous effects in our life, was now in our midst. Jesus Christ was now in our midst, in our humanity, in our very being, in our very nature. I tell you that St. John, when he looks at all of us living in the graces, he still leaps as he did in the womb. He leaps now in heaven if we do indeed live in those graces that, um, that he saw and was really excited about even from his mother's womb. But here he leaped for joy because he perceived that the creator of the universe is now inside of our humanity. This leaping for joy... Uh, interestingly, had a prefiguring in the Old Testament. One of the Old Testament symbols, of course, of St. Mary, and those who do the midnight praise on Saturday nights know this, that the one of the symbols of St. Mary is the Ark of Covenant. You know the Ark of Covenant, that, that golden structure that had the Ten Commandments inside of it that Moses uh, built? <clears throat> 
So St. Mary is a symbol of that because inside of her was the Word of God, just like inside the Ark of Covenant was the Ten Commandments, the Word of God. Um, so when St. Elizabeth says today, says today, but why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me and when the baby inside her leaps for joy, a very clear parallel happens in the Old Testament with uh, David the prophet. So in Second Samuel 6, 9, uh, when the Ark of Covenant, again a symbol of St. Mary, is brought before the King David, David says, how can the Ark of the Lord come to me? And then he dances in the presence of the Lord and in the presence of the Ark. We know that St. Mary, of course, is blessed with a lot of uh, you know, Old Testament symbols about her, not just the Ark of Covenant, but the tabernacle which Moses made, the manna pot which carries the, uh, the bread from heaven, uh, the rod of Aaron, which sprouted, uh, you know, without seed. The censer, which carries the the fiery uh, uh, the coals. The burning bush, which uh, carried, of course, the fire of divinity. The the beautiful dove that carried the uh, symbol of hope, which is the olive branch. The second heaven, which of course carries God. The second Eve, which you know, the first Eve brought about sin. And, and death, the second Eve brought the opposite. The second Eve brought life and uh, eternal life at that. The ladder of Jacob, which connected heaven and earth, and the golden lampstand, which carries the light. So just like all of these symbols, St. Mary herself carries our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the true uh, fulfillment of all of these Old Testament shadows. The story also addresses some modern issues that we deal with today, like abortion, believe it or not. So the two babies in the womb, um, in the what the Bible describes, the, the Bible describes them as communicating, reacting, perceiving each other's presence, and receiving the Holy Spirit. This is a foundational portion of Scripture that we lean on in our understanding of the issue of abortion. Life be, begins at conception and has a great value, as this example shows. Right, these babies were communicating, they were perceiving, and they were counted worthy of receiving the Holy Spirit. Saint John was counted worthy of receiving the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. Therefore, how can, how can abortion ever be practiced? It also addresses uh, women in the church. Uh, the story of salvation of humanity has its beginnings with these two blessed women, St. Mary and St. Elizabeth. So I would tell my daughter, if anyone brings up Eve, that she should bring up Elizabeth and St. Mary. Uh, simply bring up these majestic prophetic hymns that were sung by these two very blessed women. Uh, initiating the story of salvation. Now, not the first time though, right? Because St. Mary uh, also, well, this was first, but St. Mary again does it at the wedding of Cana, where um, even though Christ was not initially inclined to begin the three-year ministry, she initiated it by exposing his uh, ability to do these miracles like at the wedding of Cana, and that there was no turning back at that point. And who was the first person, of course, to proclaim the resurrection? Anyone know? Who was the first? Mary Magdalene, right. St. Mary Magdalene. So women have an essential role in proclaiming the good news and the education and working with God in the work of salvation. We know, like, for example, that the, um, the Russian Orthodox Church uh, under communism, Joseph Stalin brutally persecuted the Russian Orthodox Church. A whole generation was lost because of the rise of atheism, because of communism. It was, you know who saved the church? The grandmothers. It, 
it was, yeah, everyone knows this, I guess, maybe. But the, the grandmothers, right? They're the grandmothers who were there before communism kind of endured communism, even though the loss of their children. But when their children's children were born, they, those grandmothers took up these grandchildren, started educating them about the church, lit candles, opened up the church, took care of the church, educated these grandchildren. And these grandchildren, uh, again, revived the church in Russia, uh, to a level that is uh, amazing, actually. They kept the faith and, the resist and they resisted the atheism of communism. They overcame Stalin, they overcame Lenin, these grandmothers, right? They overcame these great uh, uh, persecutors of Christianity. And they overcame socialist communism. They restored these churches. Today the church there is very strong with one of the largest percentages of a population of believing Christians of any population. So then Elizabeth was a righteous person and a cousin of St. Mary. After receipt of the Holy Spirit, St. Elizabeth begins to recite, as is said in the Coptic Midnight Praises, a prophetic hymnology, right? A, a, like a, a type of hymn, even though it's more of a, like a glorification, it is kind of like a hymn. She is prophesying and singing that at the same time as St. Mary would also do right after that. So what does she say in this little uh, St. Elizabeth? What does she say? She praises St. Mary, and Archangel Gabriel also praised her just a few verses before, as we read uh, uh, last week. Our Holy Mother is praised by both man and angel. She understood the great honor that she was receiving by this visit and felt unworthy that the mother of my Lord should visit me, she says. She then prophesied by saying, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And this applies to us as well. If you can put yourself in the seat of St. Mary just for a second, right? Blessed are you who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told of you from the Lord. All the promises that God offers us will be fulfilled as they were fulfilled to St. Mary. As St. Mary was the first to receive Christ in her, would, would would in her would receive the fulfillment of the promises made we too who receive christ will receive the promises given to us i'll read you a quote from saint ambrose of milan he says you also are blessed because you have heard and believed a soul that believes both conceives and brings forth the word of god and acknowledges his works we become like saint mary we give birth to Christ our Lord. We become a Theotokos, with a small t, of course, right? We give birth to Christ in our actions, in our words, and in everything, in our thoughts, and in our prayers. We have Christ in us, and we give him to the whole world, as St. Mary did. After Elizabeth ends her prophecy, St. Mary begins hers. Now, St. Mary's uh, prophetic hymnology, that little praise that she gives that we read today, each little section can be a sermon by itself. So, you know, it's beyond today's talk to really go deep into it, but let's take a few of them. So she magnifies the Lord. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. How can we magnify the Lord? He is what he is. Does our magnify him actually magnify him? Or, or does that increase his stature at all? Our glorification of God does not change who he is. He is who he is. But it is indeed, it, it does bring attention to something that already is. And like a magnifying glass, we magnify him. Um, he is in no need of that kind of a proclamation, right? He is, his greatness is 
beyond us, right? And it's it's only to our benefit that we recognize that greatness. So we can say that to magnify the Lord is to provide the giver of life a larger and more magnified presence in our hearts and in our lives. So it is to our advantage that God is placing is being placed in a greater position in our life and has a bigger place in our hearts. And when we magnify Him, uh, we we give Him that throne in our hearts, and and He gives us the amazing blessings that comes out of that presence. She next says she rejoices in God, her Savior. Saint Mary needed salvation just like the rest of us. She had the same fallen nature that we had due to the primal sin. So when when uh, our Lord took flesh from St. Mary and united it to His divinity, our nature was, ris- was risen again, right? So St. Mary was just like we were. That's why she says, I rejoice in God, my Savior. And then she says, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. That was a bold statement. But then that was very prophetic as well. Here we are 2,000 years later calling her blessed, right? So all generations will call her blessed. And here we are today, of course, fulfilling that um, 2,000 year prophecy. Then she says, He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. So who is she talking about? She could have been talking about a few people. It could have been the scribes and the Pharisees that she was talking about. These are the type of people that were the rulers of the synagogues at the time. And they always like to take the best seats. They like the attention. And so he could, she could have been talking about him. Because they were indeed scattered after uh, Christianity took root. Or the Greeks with who could not understand the, the prophecies of the Old Testament and the message of the New Testament because of their false doctrines that they believed in. They were also scattered. Or the Romans, who with their heavy hand uh, to Israel and who were blinded by power, maybe they were the pride who were scattered. And they also were scattered, as we know, uh, the Roman Empire became Christian uh, shortly thereafter. It's more likely, however, that when St. Mary says he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts, that she was speaking more about Satan and his demons who, through their pride, openly claimed mastery of the whole world. They, they claimed that they were the rulers of the world. And now Christ scatters them and takes back what was stolen from him and, and stolen from God by them. The Lord, by his coming, scattered and transferred those who, whom they had uh, taken captives. The, I'm talking about Satan and his demons. And given back to Christ, right? And, and for these things all came to pass according to her prophecy. Of course, we know that idolatry... Under no time in human history was abandoned except by the coming of Christianity. So it wasn't through Judaism. It surely wasn't through Islam. It was through Christianity that idolatry was abandoned among all of humanity, not just in Egypt, of course, but among all the idol-worshipping countries of the time. And this was prophesied many times in the Old Testament, and it came to fulfillment in Christianity, and as St. Mary here also prophesied. Though the work, of course, is still continuing to this day. It could also mean that anyone else who's prideful and not humbling himself before God. So it could also apply to us that he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. It could apply, of course, to anyone. For as it says in James chapter 4, verse 6, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. 
So we should always have that humble spirit that gives us grace because it is by His mercy that we stand and by nothing else. Even in the height of our strength, we do not stand by our strength. We only stand by the mercy and, and kindness of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we encounter Christ, we also leap for joy like St. John the Baptist. He brings the true joy that is everlasting, that stays with us, that no one can take away when he's present. Even in times of trouble, when the world is not kind or we're going through some sort of tribulation or trouble in our families or in our work or in through some kind of uh, sickness or anything like that, if he is present in our life, he still brings the joy when even in the worst of things are present in our life, God still brings that joy. When the Holy Family was looking for a place to uh, stay um, and to be born, that Christ may be born, most people rejected him, saying, we have no room. Even for a pregnant lady, they had no room for her. So they finally sent her to a manger, which of course was full of animals and was kind of, you can imagine the bad smell that was there and all uncleanliness that was there. Uh, but even there, Christ took that um, location and there he decided to be born. But when we look at that manger, we no longer remember the smell and, the, and those awful things that must have been there before his coming. There he brought the, spark, the sparkling star, the praise of angels, and the worship of kings to that location. Today in our lives, when everyone else is rejecting him, just like when they were rejecting him for, um, to be born, we, we accept him right? Hopefully we accept Him. When we allow Christ to enter into our marriage, our work, our relationships, our studies, enter into our busy schedules and our spiritual <laughs> lives, He transforms our lives, just like He transformed the manger. Just like that manger was unfit for Him, but He transformed it to one of the most glorious and iconic scenes in human history. We should allow Christ to enter into our lives no matter how unfit we are, no matter how bad we're in sin, allow Christ to enter into our life and He transforms our lives instead of a smelly place to a place that's full of glory and honor and memorable. And memorable. St. Ambrose had a nice, contemplate, uh, nice contemplation which I'll share. The spirit of St. Mary's prayer should be in us during this time of nativity. She just doesn't pray on her behalf when she prays this amazing prayer that she prayed today, that we read today. Just like most of the Psalms that were written by David can be written, um, can be read by all of us, right? As if it was coming from our own heart. We can also read the prayer of St. Mary as if we are praying that, that same prayer. So that prayer that St. Mary prays, she prays on the behalf of all of humanity. Because though our Lord had only one mother according to the flesh, who is St. Mary, we become like St. Mary, like we've just said. Christ is within us when we have faith, when we read the Bible frequently, when we serve, and when we take and partake of the Eucharist. If we receive these things and keep them with holy lives, and when we try to keep Christ in our memory, then Christ is indeed within us, and we become just like St. Mary. And the soul that succeeds in this can also sing the hymn of St. Mary, thinking of the greatness of God, giving that greater place in our hearts to God, and with that we can say that we rejoice in God our Savior. We rejoice in God our Savior, just like St. Mary says. Rejoicing in the greatness that has come down to us and that allows us to share in that grace. 
Just as St. Mary's soul magnified the Lord and her spirit rejoiced in God her Savior, we too can do the same thing. So let St. Mary's soul be uh, and spirit be in each one of us, uh, proclaiming the greatness of the Lord. If we earnestly seek Him in our lives, He transforms us to that image of the nativity. We become like the manger. We become like that image with all of its joy and message of hope and goodwill to all of mankind. Uh, we bring that into our life. We too leap like St. John the Baptist when we see Christ the Savior in our presence. We leap for joy and we say with St. Mary, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. May Christ be born in all of our hearts whose mercy and love for us is beyond words to whom be glory forever. Amen.